our reality, the lives that we live, the families that we have, the marriages that we have, and the ideal that God says, this is what I want for you. And so the difference, that gap between what I really have and what God really wants for me, that gap that creates tension for me. And that creates tension for you because we see what we have and the reality is not the ideal. The reality is that we have people who are newlyweds and they get into the marriage and they realize this is more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Or we, the reality is people who have a marriage who is crumbling and maybe ending and you're realizing that it's ending. And the reality is that, and God is saying, but I have this ideal for you. And the gap in between creates tension for us. The reality is maybe you have a spouse that doesn't come to church with you. The reality is maybe you're in a second marriage and maybe struggling. The reality might be that you have children that aren't living the lives that you had hoped that they would live. And that creates for you the reality the gap and the, the uh, ideal that God has. And then you say, you look at that and you say, that creates tension. I'm not comfortable with my reality in the face of God's ideal. So in the culture that we live in, we have a tendency to want to relieve that tension. And so we do it many ways. We excuse that ideal away. We say, oh, that was, from an, uh, that was for another time. That was for another generation. That's okay for my great-grandmother. It just doesn't apply to today. So we try to relieve that tension. If you have a friend who has that tension, you might even go to that friend and say, listen, it's okay. That's how it is for everybody. That's normal for today. So we try to relieve that tension. We don't want our friends to feel bad. We don't want to feel bad. And so we relieve that tension that we feel because of the gap between our reality and God's ideal. But you know, deep down inside, as we look at our children, as you look at your grandchildren, you want something better for them. Even if your reality is not what you want, you want something better for your children, for your grandchildren. And you would like to push them toward that ideal. We want something better for them. And Jesus makes it very clear that the standard isn't changing. The ideal, his ideal, his best is not changing. In fact, he even cranks it up. I mean, he said, you have heard it said this, here's the standard, but he says, but I tell you the standards here. He actually cranks that up. So there's even more tension. And then we look at that and, and he points us towards that ideal. And he's like, how can, I, how can I live up to that? I've already missed it. I've already blown it. There's no way I can achieve to that. How, how, how can I live up to that? And I think God would tell us, but live with that tension, but don't lose sight of the ideal. Keep that there. Don't dismiss it. Because if we dismiss that ideal, because as high as his standard is, that's exactly how deep his grace is. And if we dismiss the ideal, we're, we're losing out on his grace. So as Christ followers, we don't have a choice. We can't dismiss the ideal. We have to keep directing our lives towards his ideal. But we said last week in the Old Testament, 
there's really, for the most part, no good examples of family in the Old Testament. In fact, if you say, I want to have a biblical family, that's kind of scary, because have you looked at the families in the Bible? (laughs) And we said last week that the New Testament, there's really no good examples of family in the New Testament, but in the New Testament, we do find some commands, some guidelines, some some standards, some ideal for the family. So we kind of summarized those last week. They're going to be on the screen for you. Here's what we said last week. The New Testament teaching on family basically says this. It can be summarized. Husbands, love your wives and be considerate all the time. It says, wives, submit to your husbands all the time. Parents, children, children, obey your parents all the time. Quickly and without attitude (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Fathers, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Never. And we look at those, we look at those, hey James, go back to that other screen for me for just a moment, the one with three on it. We look at those things and we say, I can't do, I've already failed. Let's see, husbands, love your wives and be considerate all the time. Yeah, uh, I missed that one this morning and it's Mother's Day. (laughs) You probably did too. I, I don't, wives submit to your husbands and you're like, have you met my husband. Children obey your parents and you're like, obey them? They can't even set the clock in the car. (laughs) Time change messes them up. The clock's wrong for a year. You got to wait till it rolls back around. (sighs) Dads don't exasperate your children. Is there any other way to live? I'm not sure. We've missed those standards. We've missed them. But God says, hold those standards. Here's the ideal. This is what I desire. This is the ideal. And we look at that list and we say, I've missed it. I've missed it. So one more time, James, go back to the other page. What we're going to do today is we're going to take maybe one of the most difficult teachings. If we could just select one off of this page here that might be the most politically incorrect, the one that could be the most uh, most offensive (laughs) and the one dealing with wives. Um, Which one is that? Oh, it's the middle one. We're going to start with that. Now, don't dismiss me. Don't check me off here. Don't leave. Don't get up and run. It's dark. You'll trip. Don't leave. (laughs) Because this is just where we're starting. This is just where we're beginning. This happens to be a very specific application given, given to wives but it really deals with everyone. Let's look at where this thing comes from. This horrible statement comes from Ephesians as Paul is describing some things here. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, I know when I put this on the screen, the guys are like, you are one brave sucker to talk about this on Mother's Day? Wow. But at the same time, you're saying, yes, (laughs) I'm so glad I've wanted my wife to hear this one. I picked a good week, good week to come. Thank you, Harley. Well, here's the deal. 
here's what here's here's what at least Andy tells people. He says if if you if you are if you go back to the other page for me, James. If you are excited about this, no, not that. The first page of this verse. If you will, if you're excited about this, you need to take note, husbands, that this the first word in this says wives, and so. That really, why don't, this is what Andy would say, why don't you focus on the ones that say husbands? Because there's some of those too. And don't worry about the wives' ones. We'll let them worry about this one. And so you look at the ones that say husbands. Now, this whole scenario, this whole scenario, wives, husbands, children, Paul is doing something very specific here. He's trying to take what Jesus taught which Jesus was taught, he taught about love, and he taught, you know, he, he taught so, so many things about love. And he's taking all of these teachings of Jesus, and he's trying to now say, what would that look like if, if, if we apply this into our families, what would that look like? The teachings of Jesus inside our families. And this is pretty interesting. Because as Jesus was teaching this stuff, he, you know, he was, because in this day and time, and it, some of this even stretches over in today, there was a real hierarchy in the family. The men were up here, and the women and children were down here. Now, that's not so much today, but that was their culture then. And Jesus was doing something astounding here. He was saying, listen, I know that you are used to whoever has the money rules. Whoever has the money gets to set the rules. So in their case, when the Jewish people were slaves, they were Israelites and slaves in Egypt. The Egyptians had the money, the wealth, and the power. They set all the rules. This is what we're going to do, how we're going to do it. And in this current culture that he was speaking to, the Romans had all the money. They had the power. They set the rules. And Jesus is saying, listen, I know that's what you're used to. Whoever has the gold, they get to rule. That was the golden rule back then. Whoever has it, they get to decide. That's their power, their authority. They get to do it. Jesus said, we're not going to do it that way anymore. I've got a different plan for you. In fact, here's what Jesus was saying. He, he was saying the people who have the power should use their power to benefit the people who are powerless. That's what Jesus is going to be teaching. He's saying you should leverage your power for the sake of other people. And this was a huge change in their culture. And Paul came along and took that concept and he said, now, here is what that looks like in the family. This is what it looks like with your relatives. This is how this relates to you wives. And this is how it relates to you husbands and you children. And in verse 22 that we just read, that is him taking this overarching principle and saying, this is what it means for you wives. But that's verse 22, 22. There's a verse before that, and that happens to be verse 21. <laughs> I know, I'm, I, st I got my master's degree to figure that one out. <laughs> verse 21 speaks this principle to everyone. So, ladies... 
you're off the hook. We're going to verse 21. That's where we're headed. Verse 21 is where he gets this principle, and this is what he says in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's saying all of you Jesus followers, there's one overarching principle for this whole thing. Everyone, every single person in your family, mutual submission to everyone in your family. And then Paul expounds on that by taking that principle and applying it specifically. He applies it to the wives, and then he says something to the husbands, and he says something then to the children. But the overarching principle is this, everyone submits to each other out of reverence for Christ. Now, you don't submit to everyone because they deserve it. Because you know, most of the times we don't deserve it. You don't submit to them because they've earned it. You submit to them out of respect and out of reverence to Christ alone. This is what the law of mutual submission says. I'm going to leverage my assets, my time, my power. I'm going to leverage that for your benefit. The law of mutual submission says, I'm going to leverage all of my time, not all, I'm going to just leverage my time, my assets, and my wealth for your benefit. That's the law of mutual submission. Whether I'm the father, or I'm the husband, or I'm the brother, or you're the sister, or wife, or mother, or daughter, or the grandparent, leverage your assets, your time, your power, your wealth for the benefit of the people in your family. Why? Because Jesus leveraged himself for me and for you, all of himself, all of his assets, all of his time, all of his power. He leveraged that for us. He put us first and himself second. He put us ahead of himself, ahead of, his, ahead of his comfort and ease. He died for your sin and for my sin. He put us above his comfort. He put us above his very own life. Now listen to this picture. This, this, here's an example of what I'm talking about. Jesus, hours, just mere hours before he was going to be tortured beyond human recognition... Just mere hours before then he would go to the cross and die a very painful death. John tells us just hours before that, Jesus is aware of the task he's getting ready to be uh, doing. This task he's been assigned, he's taken upon himself. He's aware of it. He knows his position, that he's the son of God, that he is God himself, Emmanuel, God with us here on earth. He understands that all power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He understands this. He knows this. So Jesus, with complete authority, complete power, he stands up. He takes off his outer robe, which would have been very symbolic of his significance. He lays that aside 
and he picks up a towel, wraps it around his waist, and he kneels down onto the floor, and he begins washing the feet, the dirty, nasty feet of his disciples. And that very act of Jesus with all authority in heaven and power and all authority and, and power here on earth and in, all of it is becoming a servant. The disciples get freaked out. And Jesus in this action is saying, listen, listen, guys, I'm setting an example for you. The more power you have, the more authority that you have, the, the more you are to be a servant of the people who are around you. Now, Paul is taking this example that Jesus set for us. He's taking this example and he's applying it to the family. That's what's happening. Just as Jesus Christ submitted himself and put your life in front of his life, everyone in the family, everyone in the family is to mutually submit to all the other members of the family, not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, only out of reverence and respect for what Jesus did for you and for me. And this, this is the most powerful social dynamic that exists. In any environment, we're talking about family today, but this applies to your work, this applies um, to students, you at school, this applies among your friends, especially among your family, saying this, I'm going to loan you I'm going to loan you my influence. I'm going to loan you my power. I'm going to loan you my wealth to benefit you. And this was modeled for us by Jesus. And Paul says, this is what it looks like to be in a Jesus-following, a Christ-following family. You submit yourselves to each other out of reverence for Christ. Now, you know what message you send to your family when you do this? You're saying, I'm here for you. I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. Regardless of where I fall in the family, regardless of my hierarchy or my authority level, I am here for you to leverage what I have for your benefit. No one in the family is more important than anyone else in the family. We mutually submit. And here's the question. It can, this whole concept can be boiled down inside your family with one single question. And here's the question. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? And if every single person in your family would ask that question to every other person in your family, one time a day is all it would take. Do you know what would happen inside your family? I mean, you're offering all that I am. I'm offering all that I am. All of me is on loan to all of you. Junior high, high school students. You want to see something really cool? Say that. 
Ask that question. What can I do to help? And watch your parents pass out. <laughs> I mean, it's going to happen. I mean, even though they are hearing me tell you to ask that question, when you go and ask that question tomorrow, they're going to drop onto the floor. Um, if, if you really want bonus points with your parents, just wait until their friends come over to, to watch TV with them and go, go into the family room and ask your parents that question. Hey, what, just before I go ahead, head upstairs to play video, what, what can I do to help? Ask it in front of their friends. And then when you leave to go play your video games, because no one has an answer because they're in shock that you've asked the question, when you leave to go play your video games, do you know what their friends are going to do? They're going to look at your parents and go, you are a child whisperer. <laughs> Tell me what you have done and how you do it. You will be a hero. You're, you will be the topic of everyone's family. Do it. Do it. Ask your parents. And this is so powerful, especially for children, because children, they're not known. They're not known for offering themselves to help. I mean, we have children. I mean, I, we've all done it. We have the reputation of thinking the world revolves around us. But for you to offer all that you have on loan to say, what can I do to help? It'll be impactful. It's powerful. Parents, we get so tired at different stages in our life as parents. You get tired of always correcting and always adjusting attitudes, always making changes with timeouts and discipline, we get tired. It seems so negative all the time. All of your interactions seem negative with your children. But if you will do this one time a day with every child, every person in your home, you will be inserting something extremely positive and powerful, even in those days that seem so full of negativity. What can I do to help? I'm offering myself on loan to you to come and help you with whatever burden, whatever is heavy on you. I, I'm here to help. What can I do to help? Do you know what kind of power that will have in your family? Wives, ladies, girlfriends, fiancés. It's a powerful question. And most of the men are just going to be like, well, nothing because I can do everything. <laughs> I don't need any help. But you know what says when you say that, what can I do to help? You're saying, I understand I, I, that I understand that you have an emotionally heavy load on your life because God has placed you as a leader in our home. I know that. I recognize that. What can I do to help? Men, we're terrified of this question. Now, listen, I, yes, God has placed for some reason, I don't know the reason, but for some reason God has placed men in, in your home as, as a leader in your home. 
Not because we're smarter. That's certainly not the case. Not because we're more sharp. Not because we have better intuition. It doesn't exist for us. Not for any of those reasons. We have no idea why God has chosen that, but for some reason he has. For some reason he has. And for us to ask that question, it is so powerful. You know why? Because for many of us, our wives are afraid to ask us for help. Because they are afraid of our response. They are afraid of the resistance they know is going to be behind that because they have done that and they have seen the reaction. And if you choose to ask that question, what can I do to help? You are opening the door and you are saying, I am here and I'm placing myself on loan to you. You're saying, I don't just expect you to do what I need done. I don't just expect you to leverage yourself for my benefit. I am here for you as well. Is there anything I can do to help you? What can I do to help? Now, this act of mutual chosen submission, the thing that will keep us from doing that is fear. It'll stop us every time because we're afraid that someone's going to take advantage of us. We're afraid that someone's going to take us off of our agenda and our plan and place us onto their agenda and their plan. We're afraid that they're going to ask us to do something we don't want to do. We're afraid that they're going to take our time and our interest and move it somewhere else for their benefit. Move us away from what we want to do. And that's why this verse is so important. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's the picture this creates. It's, it's almost, but even before creation, it's almost as if Jesus, knowing his creation was going to blow it, that he goes to God the Father and he says, Dad, what can I do to help? The father looks at him and says, it's going to cost you plenty. I mean, you're going to have to lower yourself from the benefits of being God, and you're going to have to become a man, a man who can be hurt, a man who can be tortured, a man who can die a very painful death. You're going to be dying for people who will take advantage of you. And it's as if Jesus looks at the Father and says, okay, I can do that. I will do that. The Father says, you're going to have to go down. You're going to have to be number two. You won't be number one. Jesus says, okay. And Paul says, we submit to each other out of reverence to Jesus Out of reverence to Jesus, we make ourselves available to other people in our family. And yes, there may be times that they take advantage of that. Yes, there there will be times that you are number two and not number one. And yes, you may not get everything done that is on your to-do list, your to-do list for that day. But welcome to following Jesus. Out of reverence for Jesus... 
and thankfulness for what Jesus has done for us, we get to do this inside of our families. And the good news is you probably are not going to have to die. It's just going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you some effort. It's going to cost you submission. And we fear this because this is the thing this is the thing that threatens threatens us. But it's also the key, a key to having a great family. You see you have the potential right now with that one question you have the potential to make your family great. But there's a good chance that fear can stop you from doing that. But if you choose to do it, you are saying, I'm going to sacrifice me for us. But if we don't do it, ultimately that one single reason we don't do it is selfishness. If we're selfish, here's what happens. We just go to our family and we say, this is what I want. This is what I want you to do. I want this. I want you to do that. And then if you do that, I will be happy. If you do what I want you to do, I will be happy. And the lie of selfishness is this. That's not where happiness is. We think we will be happy if everyone will do what we want them to do, but that's a lie. It won't happen. Happiness in a family is through mutual submission. Willing, being willing to loan yourself to everyone else in your family. That's where happiness is. And men, for us, some of your family cannot get you to lean in because you're just pulling away. They can't get you to lean in. They've tried. At times they've asked, but most of the time it's their actions trying to get you to lean in. But you keep pulling yourself away because what? We're the big leader. But they keep leaning in towards you leveraging themselves for your benefit. They keep leaning in. Your wife keeps leaning in and leaning in and your children leaning in to make dad happy. And eventually, if you keep pulling away and they're leaning in, eventually they are going to fall and you're going to wonder what happened. And you still won't be happy. Because we don't get happy controlling the people around us. We get happy when we loan ourselves to our family for their benefit, just like Jesus did for me and for you. One of the keys to great relationships inside of our families is if we can learn this, myself included, mutual submission. And this principle has nothing to do with authority, but everything to do with what you do with your authority. Dads, God has called you to be head of your home. If that's the way you feel that God has called you to be the head of your home, then be the head of your home. The same way Jesus was the head of the church. He gave himself for the church. 
the model of leading that Jesus gives us is this. Jesus was the head of the church because he gave his life away. You are not giving up your authority, dads. You're giving all of the power of that authority to benefit someone you love, just like Jesus did for you. Now, Jesus said, the more power that you have, the better servant you should be. And that means the more power you have, the, the better servant you should be. That means the more we should ask that question more than anyone else in our family, more often than anyone else. Now this morning, even if you're not a Christ follower, you can take this principle and you can apply it to your family today and you can begin, even if you don't believe in Jesus and don't believe the Bible, you can take this concept and apply it today in your family and you will see benefits. But if you are a Christ follower, we don't have a choice in this matter. We have to do it. We must do this. Why? Romans 5, 6. When we were utterly helpless... When we needed help the most and we had nowhere else to turn, Christ came at just the right time. I mean, just the right time. According to our time frame of need. Not even according to God's time frame. It was our need. According to our need. When we needed the help, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. It's as if God came to his creation and said, what can I do to help? And then he did it. Imagine what your family might look like. I'll tell you, it'll look like Jesus. Jesus, who knew he had all power and all authority in heaven and on earth, and he knelt down and he began serving every one of those men that he loved. He was leading. He was serving. Verse 21 tells us, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so then Paul simply takes that overarching principle and he says wives now submit to your husbands not because they deserve it just out of reverence for Christ he says husbands love your wives like Jesus loved the church how did he do that he gave himself up for the church do this out of reverence for Christ he said Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your kids. This is what it looks like when a family comes together and mutually submits. And they say, what can I do to help? I don't want to be in charge. I want to be like Jesus, your Savior who loves you. My friends, when we want to ask this the least... We need to ask it the most. Let's pray. Father, it is so very convicting, and we have failed 
I have failed over and over and over and over again. But this morning, may we be encouraged to start again. Even if no one else in our family does, may we start again. God, we pray for our children and our grandchildren. May they get this right now in their lives so they can make it a habit so that when they have their own families, it will be in place and it will be there. God, may we each and every one of us, no matter our position in our families, may we set an example by doing this. And God, this is out of our reverence and our thankfulness for what you did for us, Jesus, for what you did for us. And it is in your name, Jesus, the one who has all power and all authority, and you use that power and authority for our benefit. In your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.